Okay, this morning we were back in Esther, and uh, after going over mostly history last time, we met, oh, we'll actually start into the, the text this morning. So let's open with prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this book that, that shows how you do work um, behind the scenes, I guess, and in taking care of your people. You're not even mentioned in this book, and yet it becomes obvious that you're orchestrating everything that happens. And we just uh, thank you for this example of how we can know that even though it's not obvious that you're working in our lives, we know that you're there and, and you are working. Uh, we pray that you'll bless our time this morning as we study this, this passage, this book, and help us to uh, really make the application in our own lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I think we'll start by reading in chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 12. And whoever gets verse 10, you can skip those names. <laughs> we don't need to know the names of the seven eunuchs. <laughs> yeah. so, now in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 120 provinces, my father changed that to King Xerxes. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his princes and attendants, the army officers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of his provinces being in his presence. And he displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his great majesty for many days, when these things were over, the king gave a banquet, lasting seven days, in the enclosed garden of the king's palace, for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. There were hangings of fine white and violet linen, held by cords of fine purple linen or on silver rings and marble columns and couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. By the king's command, each, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions, for the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the palace, which belonged to King Araxerus. On the seventh day, when part of the king was married with wine, he commanded the eunuchs, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Xerxes, to bring him, to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown, in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. Then the king became very angry and his wrath burned within him. Okay, now, Ahasuerus is uh, the Hebrew name for the king. Xerxes is the Greek name for the king. We had mentioned this last time. Um, when I look, looked him up uh, the, on the Internet, they gave his Persian name, but I don't think there's any way of pronouncing it. <laughs> it was all spelled out phonetically. And, uh, so... We can say a Xerxes or a Hazarus. My Bible says a Hazarus, so that's what I'll keep saying. But 
other translations say Xerxes. So, um, again, really briefly, the history. Uh, Cyrus was, everything we've been studying re recently has been under the kingdom of Persia. The Persians, the Medes and the Persians under King Cyrus conquered Babylon. And the people, the Jewish people went back to Jerusalem and they began to build the temple. When they were opposed, they stopped. So uh, King Cyrus died. Then there was Cambyses who reigned for like eight or nine years during this period when nothing was happening. And then Darius became king. And remember in his second year, they restarted building the temple. And so that happens in Ezra chapters 5 and 6. In chapter 7, Ezra comes to Jerusalem, and he's under King Artaxerxes. There's a 58-year gap in the book of Ezra between chapter 6 and 7. That's where Ahasuerus and the book of Esther fits in. So... That's just kind of the general background um, as far as our, our history. So let's get into uh, looking at uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, in those days, it took place in those days of Ahasuerus, uh, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. In those days, as King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne, which was in Susa, the capital, um, so this describes the extent of the Persian Empire. It went from India in the east to, in the southwest, it went to Ethiopia, or so that included uh, Egypt, down into Ethiopia, um, I think it might call Kush in some versions. And then in the northwest, uh, it actually crossed the Bosporus and, and went into Europe. And they had um, some of the land around the Black Sea, including the northern part, which is the Ukraine and, and the Crimean Peninsula, where the uh, Russians are, and the Ukrainians are fighting today. So it was, a, it was the largest empire uh, up to this time. It, it was far greater than either the Assyrian Empire or the Babylonian Empire. So this was a huge empire. Um, New American Standard says there was 127 provinces. I think Marie read the 120. 127. Oh, it, said, it was 127. Um, let's look at Daniel chapter 6 and verse 1. Because Daniel was, he lived in the Babylonian Empire, and when they were taken over by the Persians, he um, served under, um, it was Darius the Mede, who was a, kind of a um, subordinate to, to Cyrus, who was the king of Persia. Um, so someone like to read uh, Daniel 6.1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. Okay, so here we have a similar number, 120 satraps. Um, now in Esther it talks about provinces. Daniel talks about satraps or satrapies. Um, 
they're kind of they're probably the same thing, but using different names at the time. Um, but we've we've got the um, now these are like states, but it's a huge the idea is it's a huge empire, huge empire. Now we're told that the location of these this story is in Susa, at least the beginning here. Susa was the winter capital because it was located in uh, southern Iraq uh, near the head of the Persian Gulf. Um, so it was on the east side of the, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. But it was down in the floodplain. And the commentaries noted that during the summer it would hit like 130 degrees there. So it was not their summer palace. This was the winter palace. Uh, in the I'm summer sure they... they pardon? I'm sure they had air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, they had air conditioning. <laughs> they, moved, they moved to a city yes. called Persepolis, or Persepolis, which was to the east up in the mountains, I think, which is now modern Afghanistan. So that was where they went for the summer, up into the mountains where it was cooler. And if we remember right, uh, from the book of Nehemiah, it starts out, him served as a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes in Susa. So it was the same capital building as, as the beginning of uh, the book of Nehemiah. Okay, going on to verses 3 and 4. Here we, we start getting some of the, the action. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his princes and attendants, the army officers of Persia and Medea, the nobles and the princes of his provinces being in his presence. And he displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his great majesty for many days, 180 days. So the king gives a banquet. Um, the commentaries point out that depending on how you count them, there's eight or nine different banquets mentioned in the book of Esther. And most of the activity and the action occurs around these banquets. So you can almost outline the book by listing the banquets and what happens at the banquets. That's a lot of wine. <laughs> it is. Um, now it's the third year of his reign. And so this is 483 B.C. So his father Darius has died. He's taken over the throne. And now it's the third year of his reign. So what was he doing the first two years? They do not necessarily have a smooth transition of power right. in these empires. Don't they kill the remaining the, dignitaries or whatever? No. Well, what happens is, you know, the, the ruling monarch dies, and this is when the, the different provinces think that, okay, we can break away now. So Ahasuerus had to put down rebellions in um, Babylon and in Egypt. Mm -hmm. So he spent his first two years basically consolidating power, and now he's having this big banquet in his third year. So it says that uh, this includes all the leaders of the provinces, calls them princes or nobles, all the chief military officers of uh, Medea and Persia, um, all the leadership from his entire empire is there at, these, uh, uh, at this banquet. But just a little bit of history of, you know, it talks about the Medes and the Persians. These are two ancient kingdoms, and they kind of combined to form uh, one kingdom. 
And in the beginning, the Medes were the stronger of the two. So they actually controlled this, this un, union of the two. The Persian and Persians became stronger over time, and eventually they became the, more, the stronger, more powerful one. And so they ruled over the Medes, but they always worked together. Um, let's turn to Daniel again, chapter 8, verse 3. This is one of those strange dreams that Daniel had. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns, standing beside the canal. And the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. Okay. This is the Persian Empire. This is, he's just, God is giving him visions of the different empires. (coughs) Um, And... The ram, again, you see the two horns, that's the Medes and the Persians, and the one that came up later is the Persian Empire, and it became longer, more powerful. So that's the description of the Persian Empire. Um, Are they two separate geographical areas, or is it kind of people-grouped? The Medes were to the north. They were further to the north. So it is is geographical. Um, And then... Verse 5, a male goat shows up. That's uh, Alexander the Great <laughs> and Greece. Um, that's the next kingdom. So, you know, we, we've got this, uh, you know, you might talk about the Persians or the Medes and the Persians. They, many places it, it combines the two because they, they work together. So it tells us that Ahasuerus was showing off the vast wealth of his kingdom and then his personal majesty. Um, kings like to show off how great they are. You know, it's just <laughs> part, of, part of wanting power is, be, is to be able to flaunt it. And part of wealth is to be able to flaunt it. Um, let's look at an example of this. Well, looks, have no show <laughs> right, right. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 39. Isaiah chapter 39. This is King Hezekiah. And verse 2. Verse 2. Hezekiah was pleased and showed them all his treasure house. The silver and the gold and the spices and the precious oil and his whole armory and all that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion, that Hezekiah did not show them. The water went under his walls. Okay, this is. These were envoys from Babylon. That he yes, they came and Hezekiah had been sick, so Babylon sent get well message by some envoys, and Hezekiah showed them all the glory and wealth, everything that he owned. So let's turn to Daniel again. <laughs> Daniel chapter 4 this time. Daniel, Daniel chapter 4, someone like to read verses 28 through 30. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, 
as a royal residence or for the glory of my majesty? Okay, he didn't have anybody to show it to at the moment, but he's just reveling, he reveling in his glory and his and his wealth. And where where did some of that wealth come from? The, the temple. It came from Hezekiah. Yeah, Hezekiah had shown him all his gold and, and you know, it's like you know, waving a stake in front of a hungry lion. You know, you don't do that. <laughs> so um, yeah, there's a, I've been reading a, a biography of Alexander the Great. And so about 150 years after this story, Alexander the Great conquered Susa. And he says there was 100 and, no, 1,200 tons of gold and silver um, ingots, plus 270 tons of gold coins that he collected there. And when he went to Persepolis, there was more there. So that's just, you know, they just accumulate gold. Um, it's like some kind of a disease. So this display of his wealth and power says it went on for 180 days, half a year. Um, now one of the things the commentaries said is it's very unlikely that he had all his military officers and all the you know, administrators of the provinces in Susa for half a year because somebody had to run things. Right. <laughs> so as what, what they kind of surmise is that they had the original um, banquet. Maybe they all came to the banquet and then they went back and, and during the meantime he had kind of like a continuous open house for whoever could come and see all this wealth that he had. Um, and so this went on. They would come at different intervals and then go back home again. Um, so why would he be doing this? Why would he be showing off all his wealth, all his power? I mean, part of it is pride. Insecurity. Insecurity. The other, the other idea, although it doesn't say here, is he's preparing, he's building up support because he's going to attack Greece. He's going to go to war. And he wants to support, that's why, you know, spe specifically we got the military officers mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. He's going to say, yes, we have lots of money. We can pay for mercenaries. We can pay for this war that's coming up. You know, we'll have plenty of supplies. Um, so this is, uh, again, it's 483 B.C. This goes on for half a year. In 480 B.C., he invades Greece. Um, now we'll mention uh, a Greek historian named Herodotus a few times. He he wrote a book called Histories. He was yeah, that's a pretty simple title, Histories. He was a historian, um, and he wrote that Ahasuerus held a great war council to announce his plans to destroy Athens. So Herodotus writes that this is what's going on at this time. Um, so again, going back, looking at history a little bit, his, it was his father Darius who had really was the one who had extended the kingdom into India and into Greece, into Europe and into Ethiopia. Um, and so, you know, he's called Darius the Great because he had done all this. He's the one that built the palace in Susa. He built the palace in Persepolis, um, one of the greatest kings of the Persian Empire. He's really the one that 
built the empire. And Ahasuerus is his son. Well, Darius had gone into Greece and uh, subjugated some of the city-states to him. Well, they revolted, and Athens supported the revolt. So Darius's plan was to go back and destroy Athens, but he died. So he left that to his son Ahasuerus to do. He was going to go and take revenge on Athens because he had supported rebellion against the Persian Empire. Um, and so 480 BC, he invaded Greece. And uh, one of the famous battles is the 300 Spartans at Thermopylae who withstood the Persian army. You know, um, some of the stories say the Persians had a million man army. It probably is an exaggeration, yeah. it wasn't that big. Um, but he did manage to get down to Athens, and he burned Athens. You know, we see pictures of the Acropolis. They burned the Acropolis. What was inside that? Um, uh, so, anyways, he, they got that far, and then they lost some, lost a naval battle and lost a army battle and retreated. Uh, he went back home. So here he is trying to, you know, the. Our text does not say this is what he's doing. It doesn't say that he's building up support. But when you look at the history that goes with it, this makes sense that it's a reason why he's having this, um, this big banquet and this display of power. Okay, going on to five and, verses 5 and 6. And when these days were completed, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Susa, the capital, from the greatest to the least, in the court of the garden of the king's palace. And there were hangings of, white, of fine white and violet linen held by cords of fine purple linen on silver rings and marble columns and couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. So he's finished this 180-day display of all his power and his might to the political and military leaders, so now he holds the banquet for all the people in the capital city. And it says from the greatest down to the least. Everybody. He invited everybody in. And this banquet lasted a whole week. Now that might seem like a long banquet, but you know we're used to the Jewish festivals. How long did they last? They were a week. Yeah, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was seven days. The Feast of Booths was... Seven days. So, uh, Even um, in the last spring, was it when Queen Elizabeth had her whatever? Jubilee. Her, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, that lasted, the big celebration yes. uh-huh. lasted a week. Yeah. And uh, you know, the whole year was celebrating it. So they had banners up and whatever uh-huh. the whole time. So when we have birthdays, we stretch them out to a whole week. I know somebody who does that. (laughs) Birthday month. So anyways, it tells us this feast was held in an open garden area. So it's within the palace complex, but it's it's not within the actual building itself. It's out in like an open garden area. Um, Talks about all the decorations, you know, linen hangings, blue, white, and violet. It talks about the marble columns. Now, this whole area has been excavated by archaeologists. 
so it's all there and they, they know where this happened. Um, you know, it mentions marble columns. They said in the palace itself, it was, the roof was supported by marble columns that were 70 feet tall. So that's a long way up. Um, vertically, yeah, 70 feet is, is long. Um, so it talks about uh, gold and silver couches. The pavement was marble and porphyry. I had to look up porphyry. It's, it's like an igneous rock, like granite or quartz. It's, you, you want a countertop? It's porphyry, yeah. Granite countertops has porphyry. Um, uh, mother of pearl is like that iridescent stuff in seashells. Um, jewels. <coughs> and so this was all either decorating the couches or part of the pavement. You know, so it was just, it was really extravagant and it must have really impressed the people of the city. Um, and again, why would he have all the people from the city come in and, and try to impress them with his wealth and his glory? So they would love him and support him. And support him, especially when he's going to be gone for three years in Greece. You don't want, you don't want your capital city having a uprising or anything. So he wanted their support. Um, you don't want to revolt in your hometown while you're gone, while you're at war. So he gives this banquet for, for the, those people. <clears throat> hey, going on to verses 7 and 8. Drinks were served in golden vessels of various kinds, and the royal wine was plentiful according to the king's bounty. And the drinking was done according to the law. There was no compulsion, for so the king had given orders to each official of his household that he should do according to the desires of each person. Now the Hebrew word for banquet comes from a root word which means to drink. And so that's what they're doing here. <clears throat> they're drinking. <coughs> it says they were drinking from a vast assortment of gold goblets. Um, according to the Jewish, tar Jewish Targum, uh, they said some of these were t had been taken from the temple. Uh, they had not all been returned to Babylon, but some of these were from the temple. <clears throat> Let's turn to Daniel again. Daniel chapter 5. We'll look at another example of, of this kind of a party. Daniel chapter 5. <clears throat> Someone like to read verses 1 through 4. Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they bought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. Four, they yes, drank please. the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Okay, so here's a very similar drinking party going on. Um, starting in verse 5, we have the handwriting on the wall, which says, you die tonight. <laughs> and that's probably what 
you know, they probably already were surrounded by the Persian army. And it was like, we're going to die. You know, let's blimp our, lose ourselves in, in, in getting intoxicated. Um, so anyways, that was the night that the Persians and the Medes attacked Babylon. Um, very similar event. Here, here, though, they're not facing imminent destruction in the book of Esther. So going on to verse, well, this verse tells us the royal wine was plentiful. So you have an unlimited supply of alcohol. And then verse 8 basically says the king issued an edict that said everyone could drink as much as they wanted without limit. His staff was ordered to keep everybody's glass full. Um, What's that phrase according to the law that we read? He, he, had, he had issued orders. And so if he issues orders, it now becomes a part of the law. What's an edict? Edict, yeah. He issues an edict. You can't stop using marijuana, just legalize it. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was, Seems to be working. There was one time where Marie and I ended up <laughs> flying first class in an airplane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, of course they serve you some wine. And they just... You end up, they come around, you have to put your hand over the glass. They keep filling it back up. And it's like, no, no, I don't want that much. Well, that's. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how the, you know, that was what the, the, the stewards were doing. They were just, they had the wine and they were, everybody's glasses, you know, it's like, well, it's like when you go out and eat in a restaurant, they keep your coffee cup full. Except this case, it was wine. Um, yeah, there's a lot they used to. Yeah, so what's... It's more expensive than it used to be. The less staff doing it. Yeah. So what's what's the net result of this? Drunken something. You had this huge drunken mob, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just probably playing into that. Probably, yeah. Yes. Um, going on to verse 9, Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the palace which belonged to King Ahasuerus. So she's inside the palace, and they think probably it wasn't quite as many women. It was probably more of the nobility that she was entertaining there, um, more select group of women. But she's uh, entertaining them separately. Um, you know, the commentaries talked about, well, you know, based on this, it was custom for the women to banquet separate from the men. And that's, they said, really what they found out is that's not true. You know, usually the, the men and women had the banquets together um, rather than separate. Yeah. That's bizarre. <laughs> that was the case. Yes. So this introduces Queen Vashti. Um, According to Herodotus and Persian records, they only name one queen of Ahasuerus, and her name was Amestris. So a lot of critics will point this out and say, there's no mention of Vashti, therefore she's a fictitious character, and so this is not a true um, historical story. It was just all made up. Um, but there's very likely, uh, you know, that this did happen because we've been 
showing how the, as we go along, show from history how the story of Esther fits and dovetails nicely with the secular history that we have at the time. Um, so, you know, possible answers is that Vashti and um, Amestris were the same person. Ahasuerus and Xerxes are the same person, right? Ahasuerus is the Hebrew name. Xerxes is the Greek name. It could be the same with her. Vashti is the Hebrew name. Amestris is the Greek name. So that's a possibility. The other one uh, is that Vashti means beloved one or sweetheart. And so her name was Amestris, and, you know, it's like when you talk to your wife, honey, yeah. Yeah, Marie's name is not honey, but I call her that. <laughs> so, he, you know, that Vashti may have been a term of affection that he called her. None of them thought she was written out of things, and Esther was the, you know, that wasn't ever brought up in any of the commentaries or anything. No, okay. no, Esther's not mentioned. See, because it only, it mentions one queen. And that's the other thing. Do you really think that king of the Persian Empire only had one queen? <laughs> Solomon, how many queens did Solomon have? How many wives did he have? Right. Hundreds and hundreds of concubines. If you notice back in verse, uh, well, we'll get to it. Um, he sends seven eunuchs to go talk to her. Why do you need seven eunuchs in charge of one queen? <laughs> he had a harem. He had a whole harem. Maybe uh, don't kill the yeah, don't kill the messenger. <laughs> okay, so, anyways, this this set, kind of sets the stage here for this confrontation. Uh, looking at verses ten and eleven, on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded. Then we have seven names of the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the princes, for she was beautiful. So it says he was merry or in high spirits. What that means is he was intoxicated. Um, so he orders these seven eunuchs, bring Queen Vashti to display her beauty. And he specifically mentions her royal crown. And there's some interesting commentaries about that. You know, one is that she would come in as with her crown representing the empire. You know, again, we, we've mentioned Queen Elizabeth. You know, a lot of times you'll see her without the crown, and she's just a very nice, pleasant lady. Yeah, but when she had her crown on, <clears throat> she represented the empire. And so. You know, the, the thought is from some commentaries that she would come in with the crown on and, and it would stir the people up to inspire their patriotism for the, our, the great empire. <clears throat> some of the older Jewish commentaries said that Hazarus was telling her to wear your crown and nothing else. <laughs> so it'd be a very lewd display of her physical beauty. Um, I think those, the truth lies somewhere in between, probably. Um, the text does not say anything about a lewd display. However, based on her response, um, it very likely is. Because her response is in verse 12. 
Queen Vashti refused to comment the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. And the king became very angry and his wrath burned within him. So she probably realized that this would be a humiliating experience to go be displayed, trotted out in front of all this drunken mob is kind of like a um, possession of the king. You know, the king would say, look, you know, I have all this gold. I have, look at this. I have this beautiful wife. You know, um, she was just being trotted out as a uh, form of a possession. And probably we would agree with, with her decision. You know, uh, this, was, this was an abusive type of command to give, right? Um, the trouble is she dis- disobeyed the king and it was in a public situation and we see his response. He was furious, very angry. His wrath burned within him. Um, I th- think he was known for doing some things that were kind of wrathful anyways and if he was intoxicated that would make it just that much worse. <clears throat> so that kind of introduces and sets up the the issue, the problem that we're going to have. And uh, we need to stop there, but starting next week, we'll see what he does about it. What's his response to being disobeyed in public? So. I don't know. Like he didn't like it. He did. Yeah, he was very, very angry. Um, so, Joe, would you like to close in prayer for us? Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way it speaks to us. Thank you for the way it's a living word that is with us and can direct us and guide us. So thank you for that. We look at how God took care of his people through history. That sets an example that he will, we know he'll take care of us <coughs> our history. So we just want to thank you for that. Thank you for this hour, for the next hour to come. Pray be with the Watman family and family of the news of God. I just pray, Lord, that you'll give peace to them and let them not realize that, that he's in a better place and it's you know, they're suffering, but, but it's better for him. We just want to thank you for the life he's led, for the, for the witness, for the testimony, for the mm-hmm. encouragement he's been to all of us over the years. Your fresh name, pray.